Hey, welcome back, everybody. I always get the song. Anyone remember the song from Mace? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Anyway, uh, I loved that song. That was a that was an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I will never sing on this podcast again. I think. Hey, we got another episode here with Charlie Webb from Vanderstahl Scientific. Uh, Charlie is going to drop some knowledge on medical device packaging and just his experience in the industry. He's a fellow podcast host, uh, so his audio is on point, his uh, his content is on point. If you are in the medical device industry or if you're just interested in the packaging industry, he drops some incredible wisdom. Hey, this episode is being brought to you by our friends over at PackIoT. At PackIoT, they bring real-time data for production analytics and manufacturing. It's a simple and easy IoT solution that will boost your shop floor efficiency, reduce costs, and help with your decision-making. You can learn more by going to PackIoT.com. That's P-A-C-K-I-O-T dot com to see what it is that they're doing. They, they are really, the software is awesome. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, it, it's kind of a no-brainer to me, honestly. I think that most every packaging manufacturer should be taking a look at this. Uh, it is, it's agnostic to your equipment, agnostic to your systems, and they're doing an incredible job. So go to P-A-C-K-I-O-T Dot com. Let's get to this episode with Charlie Webb. Awesome, everybody. I get to return a favor, uh, which is like the power of reciprocity. Uh, I was uh, recently featured on uh, Charlie's podcast. Charlie, what was the name of your podcast again? I just, it it's, just- um, it's an acronym. So it's Spot Radio, which is an acronym for Sterile Packaging on Track. Sterile packaging on track radio. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was on your podcast uh, uh, oh, maybe a month ago or so. I don't. I don't it's like COVID time, so I, it's all out the window for me. <laughs> like dog know. years, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so we got done, and I was like, Charlie, you got to come on the People Packaging Podcast, and uh, we we were able to set this up fairly fairly quickly, even in the midst of as we were talking pre-show, uh, the the rapid rise of tasks and you know things that are coming up the trade shows are returning and all that stuff so i'm glad you're able to carve out a little bit of time from your day and uh, awesome. come on the people packaging podcast so thanks so for, excited to be here big thanks fan for jumping on oh man I, I just want one person just one time to be like uh first time caller long time listener adam i'm very <laughs> absolutely yeah, uh, and, and maybe it's like this for you, but for for me, when now that I've been able to be a guest on a few shows, it's sort of refreshing to be interviewed, you know, because you can just show up and be like, "Hey, I'm here. Let's talk." I know. I'm so um, happy about that. I was, I'm always putting on the show, so it's so great to uh, be on the other side of the desk for once. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, for for those of you who don't know Charlie, number one, shame on you. You should know Charlie. <laughs> Um, and make sure that you connect up with him on LinkedIn. Uh, Charlie is the what? Well, what? You know what? I, I was going to go through everything, but you've you've introduced yourself plenty of times before. So uh, why don't you just you know it, make a quick introduction? Because we do want to, this will be a little different just to set the expectation here at the front end uh, for the listeners. Uh, we are going to talk about a little bit about Charlie and about his uh, you know how how we got going and what are you doing at Vanderstahl and how long that's been going on, all that kind of stuff. But after that, we're going to get into some very uh, practical tips and some practical advice in his area of expertise. 
And I'm excited for that um, because he is a wealth of knowledge in these areas and uh, specifically when it comes to uh, medical device packaging. So he's going to give us some really great information and I am going to learn and I, you're going to learn as well. So, which is always an awesome, awesome time. So just want to give that, that quick disclaimer uh, for those of you who are, are in the medical device packaging space, uh, stick with this one, connect up with Charlie and, and reach out to his team. So uh, Charlie, uh, so yeah, why don't you do, do a, do a quick introduction here. Sure. So I'm the president of Vanderstahl Scientific, and our company provides packaging machinery for medical device makers. Uh, so if you have a device and you need to put it in a pouch, it's a very arduous, complicated process. It requires the validation under multiple ISO guidelines and frameworks. And so we, um, we support those machines. We also are an ISO 17025 accredited laboratory. So we do package and testing, uh, integrity testing, uh, packaging challenges in our lab. Um, and then we're also a calibration lab because the FDA requires that this high-level machine, or these high-level machines be calibrated. So that, um, <clears throat> that's what our company does. Um, I, we started this, I did 26 years ago, um, just uh, coming out of, uh, pretty much coming out of college and working sometime as a medical device uh, person, technologist, uh, innovator, and um, saw that there was some room in packaging to, to really innovate. Uh, as the industry shifted into validation, you know, being able to vet out the process to make sure that that bag's closed, we want a sterile device when the uh, surgeon goes into our chest cavities, obviously. So right. our aim was to, um, to make that packaging, uh, the packaging machinery uh, much more vetted through microprocessors and calibratable uh, which was meeting that new kind of zeitgeist of higher level of packaging. And that's also now sweeping into the hospitals really only sort of recently. So that was our, our goal, our vision. And we've, since then we've uh, innovated with machinery that even incorporates testing labs within the machine. And it requires the operator to uh, stop packaging and it forces them into a destructive and a non-destructive uh, uh, pat packaging challenge. So it assures that uh, that device is, is going to be inspected or those device pouches. So the device makes it to the point of care, safe and sterile. So that's really uh, our it. deal. As you mentioned, I do a little podcast on the, as a side hustle, but mm -hmm. uh, really um, that's uh, what I do. I've, I've sort of moved away from our, our laboratory a little bit. And uh, these days I, I'm working more on the innovation side for some new products that are coming down the pipe for us. Awesome. And how many, how many employees do you guys have there? We're actually a very small company. You know, I almost feel apologetic when I talk about employee size, because it's always been kind of the arbiter of how good your company is. <laughs> so sure, sure. in this sort of new vision, we're under 10 employees, but you know, we, um, we have a huge reach. I mean, our company is responsible for uh, about a billion sterile transfers each year. So there's a very good chance that if you go into a hospital and clinic, if they open up that pouch, it may well have been uh, developed, that seal developed on one of our uh, medical pouch uh, uh, de sealing devices. And so, again, we have a very broad worldwide reach. We're just about in every clean room in North America. But we work under a very solid Six Sigma model. And one of the challenges you have in medical device packaging that probably is different from your listeners that are in the consumer product packaging is that 
you know, we're part of that cost containment uh, food chain. So mm-hmm. hospitals have uh, people that work there like uh, utilization review managers. And basically their goal is to say that, well, if a scalpel comes into the hospital, um, we'll reimburse it based on third-party reimbursers, uh, reimbursement uh, or organizations to say a dollar. <clears throat> so no matter if you put wings and LED lights on that scalpel, no matter how you innovate it, make it prettier, the, the it's very binary. It either is a scalpel that meets the efficacious requirement of the procedure or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So every step upstream from that delivery of that medical device has to follow a very stringent cost containment model. And so based on that, you'll see a lot of Six Sigma um, workflows, Kaizen workflows, where we're every single stop, we're trying to remove friction in order to get the device. I mean, we could do some incredible things if money was no object. And that's one thing I think a lot of people outside of healthcare don't realize is that you can't just make a efficacious medical device that can do miracles. It has to be reimbursed. And if there's something that mostly meets the goal of that device's, or the device's use, then unfortunately they've met the requirement and there really isn't a lot of motivation for us to innovate outside with things that might provide more patient comfort. Um, those really aren't entered in. It has to just be that efficacious binary model. Unfortunately, that's our world. And so that's why we keep a, a very tight, very small organization in order to meet that costing mandate. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I, I also think that you are the first guest to use the word efficacious uh, on the podcast. I don't know that. <laughs> that flows sure. around our, our lexicon quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and this is what I love about the, the packaging industry is that, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of a lot of people that I'm connected with are in the consumer packaged goods world. But when people hear the word packaging, and you know, you've been doing this for. By the way, your LinkedIn profile says 27 years in in seven months, and you said 26 years. So, little yeah. uh, little fact, CNN fact checker here. Oh, thank you, uh, CNN Wolf Blitzer of the packaging world. Um, well, that one. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you know, but when when you have been telling people, hey, I you know, I work in medical device packaging, or when I tell people that I work in packaging. It's so interesting and fascinating to me to hear people's questions and their responses. It's like, oh, like you, you know, you work in a packaging facility, like you're actually putting things into something or, oh, you make boxes or, um, but as you start to really peel back the onion, at least as I have been through the four seasons of this podcast, it's, it always just so mind blowing to me about to see all of the areas that packaging is impacting. So, you know, you're talking about clean room, you know, sterile medical device, uh, you know, scalpels and all sorts of stuff that I thankfully uh, don't spend a lot of time in hospitals uh, with the exception of when my five children have been born. Mm -hmm. Um, But even when I'm, you know, when I'm in a hospital setting, it's like, I start looking around and I'm going, oh, there is this whole other world of, I would, I would venture to guess, and maybe you can speak to this. There's a whole other world of rapidly growing needs for medical device and healthcare packaging as populations are aging, as populations are increasing. 
um, and as regulations are necessarily changing and adapting to the to these growing dynamics, particularly in you know areas like North America and the EU and more developed areas. Um, which, which then would even say, but look at all of these developing countries that are going to have to put in place all this stuff. It is a, it's a fascinating world of opportunities, as you mentioned, that you saw you know, 26 or 27 years ago um, when, when you decided to, to jump into this, which is, this is not going away. And it is, it, it is we're going to have to continue to innovate and move. So I, I just, I'm excited for this conversation because this is all new stuff for me because, you know, for the listeners who, who probably know this, but this is not my area of expertise. I don't spend a lot of time in medical device packaging or even, you know, pharmaceutical packaging or anything like that. Uh, so, but I, I love to learn and I love to say when somebody says, Hey, I got a question about this to have people in my, in my back pocket that I can say, yeah, go talk to Charlie. Cause I'll just make up a bunch of answers. I'll talk about like a, a flux capacitor or something like that. Um, <laughs> And I'll try to sound smart. I'll be like the the efficacious nature of the flux capacitor on the ISO twenty seven zero two six C says that I have no idea. I know I was in an engineering meeting the other day, and I, I'm do I speak English anymore? I mean, literally, the person that was speaking, and I'm it's my industry. I, I was lost. It's a very complicated process mm. we do. You know, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't really understand is that. Upstream medical device packaging validation is this crazy ball of data uh, that has to be generated, centered around all the mechanical, you know, hard stuff. So it's a it's a process that I think most people would be surprised. In fact, getting when you make a medical device, you request a a five ten k through the FDA. It's a basically a per, permission to sell your device in North America. And so you can imagine there's bio burden analysis. They have to be uh, some sort of a uh, a model that shows that your device does in fact what it's supposed to do through clinical trials. Um, it has to be shown to be safe. Uh, the material has to be safe. So, I mean, you're talking a year of development with a lot of different engineers and particularly now with the new devices that oftentimes have some sort of pharmacopoeia embedded onto the device, then it has to have a lot of vetting to make sure that it's safe. I mean, that's the first part. 80% of a medical device is make sure that it, it won't kill you. Um, and then we can start talking about how it's going to help you. But the first part is that it's not going to kill you. Hmm. So when you look at medical device packaging, many of the engineers that are new to the process, medical device startups, by the time they get into packaging, they're like, well, this is, a, this is going to be easy. We take our device, we toss it in a bag, we seal it up, and we send it out for sterilization. Only to find out, many of them fed, have fed this back to me over the years and said that the process of medical device packaging was more arduous and complicated and difficult and time consuming than developing and getting approval on the actual medical device. In fact, wow. now the FDA and ISO consider the containment system for a medical device as part of the device itself. It's now called the sterile barrier system. And that yeah. sterile barrier system is part of the device. So they've upped the game now to where, um, you know, you have to go through this thing called an IQOQPQ process. So you have to qualify the equipment and that you have to put it under factory acceptance testing and all of these complicated models. Then you go into a design of experiment with your packaging and look at all of the limits using Taguchi modeling and all these things to be able to navigate towards nominal settings 
And then you have to prove that this, that the process is sound for production, that nothing is going to change. So I think the average person in packaging that would spend the day with a medical device packaging engineer would be absolutely shocked about the level of sophistication and, and the engineering requirements uh, that are involved. Trips up a lot of people who really believe that putting the device in the bag and sending it off to the hospital um, was going to be a piece of cake. But I've said often that, uh, you know, even the most efficacious medical device is poisonous if it loses sterility. I mean, you uh, right now, the World Health Organization has some stats. The CDC does. There's some other uh, data collection companies uh, and organizations that collect some of this data. But healthcare acquired infections have, have really, uh, well, for a time, were exploding. They're starting to get a little bit in check right now. But depending on who you ask, it's anywhere between 250,000 to a million and a half people get an infection from a non-contact with a non-sterile medical device. Wow. And they- 250,000 to what number? Uh, it's about a million and a half or, a, or get an infection. And they say well over 150,000 people die each year. So, you know, when, when you aggregate, you know, COVID death numbers, what is it? 600,000. We're talking about year in and year out, 150,000 people dying from infection at the hospital. Then you can see that it's an important part of the process. And when you get into certain medical devices like orthopedic uh, products or are, are known to be uh, very dangerous in terms of infections. And so um, now with electric bicycles entering the market and you can be 70 and still go 35 miles an hour. Now the, that's, I'm telling everyone, this is where you invest your money right now. Um, orthopedic companies, you're, you're seeing so many you know, spike of people. And now that we have the aging population, the baby boomers are all getting hips and knees. So these are, dangerous areas where you can get uh, infections easy. It's just one of those surgical procedures that has the highest propensity for infection. So as you mentioned, the population is growing. We have an aging population. And so again, we're trying to meet that mandate of getting much more with much less. And it's becoming very difficult because at one point you do capitate on how far you can go with cost containment. You can only... Right. Pay, you have to pay fair wages, right is right. Um, the equipment can only be procured at a certain price and technical. I mean, it's, it's one of the things, and I always stand up for so-called big pharma um, for only one reason, particularly medical devices. I mean, if you can imagine developing a medical device that took you five years with a building full of PhDs with $150,000 salaries each, a state-of-the-art industry, and then you get this disposable knife that's worth three bucks. It's, it's difficult to monetize that back, yet the marketplace needs that $3 device. It's right. complicated. Medical device uh, in, in general is very complicated. And then when you add the expensive cost of those uh, pouches um, using Tyvek and other um, multi-layer films and so forth. So the packaging is expensive. The devices are hard to uh, make inexpensively. And uh, as a result, it creates a lot of challenges in my world. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, you've, you've also accomplished another first, which is now people can come to this episode for uh, investing advice. Though financial we not, advice. <laughs> we, are, we are not uh, financial advisors in any way, shape, or form. There's probably some disclaimer I'm supposed to say about that. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm just yeah. guessing, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, I mean, that is such, it's such a great point. And I am like, 
I'm staggered. Like maybe I shouldn't be so surprised, but at this 150,000 deaths a year, I mean, this isn't, this is every year on average on a thing that you, you know, as you describe the process of approvals and, uh, you know, all, all of the steps that go into not only a medical device, but also now the packaging to go and it still has, has a, a, I don't want to say a high failure rate because that's, that is going to be, I, I had one customer that I did uh, just some blank label stock for, and they were, uh, they, they had a product that um, they were a medical company and it was, it was a hard product that went in for surgeries. And, and I, so I would just see their label orders and I was like, holy cow, there was a lot of people going in for, for surgeries every, every month. Cause you know, they would have to label every single part. And I'm like, this is going <laughs> into people. That's what yeah. the part is. Uh, so, so that 150,000, you know, deaths is across that's globally. Right. So, you know, a, a, a whatever you call it, a, a couple of billion people a year, maybe that have to go to the hospital. I believe that's um, just the United States. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's pretty high then. That's it. That's- you got to remember, <laughs> it's not just packaging. I mean, um, HAIs, sure. healthcare associated infections, uh, can be handling of the device. Um, there's other uh, ways. In fact, the AORN, which is American Academy of Operating Room Nurses, uh, in their Congress and also through another Congress that we have, um, we actually uh, have the, uh, that group deliver their devices into a Mayo stand, how that device is going to be delivered. So as packaging innovators, we can see what that workflow looks like. And we have to predict some of these workflow. For instance, one of the issues, in fact, a PhD just wrote a white paper that I haven't had the opportunity to read yet. I was in the early discussion with this, however, where EMTs and paramedics, when they're going, they're uh, administering, uh, administering uh, care to a patient in a fast-moving ambulance, um, is going to behave differently than how we are going to assume that this package is going to be opened in our laboratories. Right. So what they were finding out is that they were putting the part of the Chevron shaped pouch in their mouth, and then they were tearing it open. So as a result of that, you know, they, they did some swabs and testing to find out that tons of pathogens were entering into these patients uh, vis-a-vis the mouth of the EMT who was opening that because they're very difficult to open. There's room for innovation to make that easier open. And a lot of companies are working on that now. In fact, this will be some fodder for that development. So we have to understand, you know, how that's going to be opened up in, in surgery um, in order to also make sure that uh, when it's going from the non-sterile field into the sterile field, what does that transfer actually look like? You know, let's power some real world activities to make sure that we can see what that workflow looks like so we can thwart potential problems downstream. But right. it is, you know, even with the COVID numbers, when we talk about hospitals, um, I'm probably, I'm the least surprised when we talk about hospital infections um, uh, with these comorbidity of patients that are dying with COVID is there's, you know, the hospitals, as you can imagine, are these uh, Petri dishes that have these MRSAs, these um, sort of super bugs that are moving around the facility. And it is a challenge trying to manage that bio burden in the hospital. So, I mean, if you go in for a COPD, it's a chronic condition, you know, statistically, it's, it's a very high likelihood that you may not be coming out of that hospital alive. 
um, just because it's a chronic condition. So sometimes it's just a footnote of what you end up dying from inside that facility because there's so many critters running around that can cause sepsis or a, a sort of a third party infection that uh, may be your demise. So uh, in our industry, you know, we have to look at all of those bits and pieces. We have to look at, you know, not only uh, what is happening to the device in terms of how it interacts with the sterile barrier system. Is that medical knife going to bump up against the seal edge? Um, but we also have to understand it's, it's end of life. It's how it's going to get to the patient's side. Uh, who is opening it? And the non-sterile part is dumped onto a tray. Is, is it open only in the sterile field? And so we have these panels every year for us to explore and imagine where there could be some room for innovation in terms of how we open up that pouch. Got it. That's again, you know, just another thing. So I've, you know, you see it like in the movies, right. Where, you know, a, a, you know, there's a, whatever, a, a, you know, a burn victim goes into the ambulance and the guy, you know, the gal like rips it open in their mouth and grabs it. And it's and it, like, they save the day. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I don't think until today I've ever thought, well, that could be a problem uh, when, when it comes to, yeah. you know, just the, these pathogens entering into it. And, and that packaging is part of that solution, right? You can't, you know, as you said, there's companies innovating on, on easier ways to open that up. Hey, I wanted to pivot, not really pivot that much because we're talking about medical device packaging within the hospital, but uh, you, you had mentioned to me that there are some, you know, maybe some other changes. Are these regulatory changes that people need to be made aware of when it comes to uh, packaging changes coming to the hospital? Or are they things like what we've been talking about with easier to open, you know, bags or, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the user experience for the, the EMT or for the nurse or for the doctor? Um, what, what things might people who are interested in it need to be made aware of when it comes to other changes that might be hitting hospitals? Sure. Well, so on the people part or the workflow, I think that's, you know, they've done the SPD department, sterile processing department, the VA calls them the SPS department. I think they've done a great job. There's a great podcast called Beyond Clean that just only talks to, uh, really to their audience of, of sterile processors. These are the folks that sterilize the devices that are reusable retractors and stainless steel devices that get reused. Um, there's many di disposables in medical devices uh, market, but uh, also they're still reusing uh, devices. Obviously it's not practical to have uh, saws and so forth made out of a polycarbonate or to throw them away. So um, that part, you know, they've, they've done a great job. Autoclaves are getting better uh, methods of uh, sterilants that are used uh, ethylene oxide gas and, um, being able to autoclave uh, with very high level microprocessor controlled sterilizers, great. The part in packaging that's problematic um, is that many of the hospitals are still using, uh, I won't say any brand names or anything here, but those sort of cheapy sealers that you can get on, you know, line to seal mm -hmm. up poly bags or your kid's sandwich. Like an L bar sealer or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Yep. That's it. So, you know, as you can imagine, these, um, you know, for their application, they're, they're fine. They use a simple timer, um, their impulse. So the heats up for a moment, the light goes off, you hold it down for a little bit and you have a, a good seal. But in our industry, everything is, is vetting, data logging, checking, sensing. So something like that in a critical application no longer makes sense. But again, you know, we're bumping heads with budgets. Uh, hospitals don't want to invest in our case, uh, a sealer that would, um, 
uh, monitor processes in the seven or $8,000 opposed to $80. So telling them the story with very financially strapped hospitals, care facilities that they need to up their game has been frustrating. There are some potential um, uh, changes in the regulatory process. 11607 part two of that ISO document um, deals with packaging. And so what we're trying to do through, we, we won the VA hospital uh, contract to be able to, and we're really looking at uh, doing an outreach program where we hope to do some uh, in-hospital training and, and talking about the advantages and the important story, uh, not as just a sales pitch, but uh, you know, truly to be able to help uh, sort of um, cut back on some of these, uh, these packages opening up before their time in the sterile field. So we have microprocessors that manage the temperature. Um, they're calibrated to manage how much contact time they have with the film. They also manage, uh, say, 100 newtons of force that's on the pouch. So we can develop a, a three-axis uh, process to where we know that we're going to get um, the R&R in our industry is uh, reproducibility and reliability. So we need to know that that's going to every single time that that packaging machine seals up a bag, that unless the device errors and error codes and alarms are what it's all about in our industry, if there's some reason that that machine didn't reach critical temperature, or if there was a reason that it didn't get enough pressure, any of those control attributes that were validated, then the machine would lock up. And so that's really the future of hospital packaging. We've been doing it on the OEM side now for a long time, but now, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary when you look at, um, I mean, you go to the dentist office, here's new things to worry about. You go to the, the dentist office and you see they're using an autoclave. Well, they're not trained validation people. There is no validation for that sealing of that bag. They put it in an autoclave. They were trained on the autoclave. The autoclave sometimes have a little bit of intelligence at, uh, at a dentist office, sometimes not. Sometimes you have to know how long to sort of cook that device to make sure you got all the critters out. So having a person that's only really sort of monitored through state OSHA um, and closing the bag has no vetting process of whether or not the bag is correct. Um, I'm always looking at the corner of my eye when I go to the dentist at their autoclave. And um, I'm not saying that they mostly don't do a great job, but you can imagine that there can be uh, breaks in that process. And if you train somebody on Saturday that started on third or Friday that started on Tuesday, and it's a critical process because, again, if a medical device or a dental part that's going to be in contact with um, human tissue is compromised, then there's always a risk of high-level infection. So this is why we're trying to send out that we're like missionaries right now. We're getting out and say, hey, we got to up our game. Um, you've been doing getting away with this for a long time, but it's now time that you up your game on the packaging equipment because even though you have the state-of-the-art autoclave, if you're not closing that bag with some sort of a monitored process, how are you sure that that part is going to make it to the patient in right. sterile condition? So it's an important message. And that's really where the innovation we hope is going to happen. The, the innovation's here. We're just challenged by having a compelling enough story to be able to make that final reach into the hospital. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing the, the work of spreading and evangelizing as a uh, medical device packaging missionaries. That's right at my wheelhouse. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's cool. Well, uh, Charlie, I did, uh, I did realize at the beginning, I did not ask you uh, about your two most important 
roles in life, which is a husband and a father. Um, so my final question is actually uh, not only as a medical device, you know, packaging engineer, uh, would you say an engineer or a, I mean, you're a president of a company, but as an engineer, uh, do you bring, is there like a personal element to this knowing that at some point in time, you or your wife or your child, uh, you know, maybe positively or negatively impacted. Does that weigh on you at all when you're thinking about a lot of these, uh, a lot of these processes and, and things that you're working on? It would uh, me. Yeah, for sure. In fact, my wife, who's the general manager of our company, her uncle um, lost a, uh, uh, a leg uh, during uh, Vietnam and through the process of uh, putting his leg back on at a, uh, a care facility, he got hepatitis. And so um, my wife, when she works with a VA hospital, obviously she is very keen on the VA group. Um, her grandfather was a WW2 veteran um, and having someone who was literally infected uh, from a device that wasn't sterile uh, in our household and our business, it has a lot of meaning. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you, you really, uh, when you think of yourself being in those situations, and I had surgery about seven years ago, stomach surgery, and it was interesting when you can put this all in and encapsulate it into a moment where it really has meaning. When they opened up one of the devices that they were using, this wasn't a surgical device, but it was a device that had blood contact and they were going to use on me. Wow. To my surprise, I knew by the, I could recognize the seal. It was done on one of my machines that I, this, I developed and patented. So at that moment, it was crystal clear the value of that and absolutely felt terrific to know that that high level, we're the only medical device packaging machine company that has an accredited laboratory under the same roof. To, to have that level of commitment and vetting and our, our process of ISO is so well codified and designed that I knew that that device was sealed correctly on our equipment. And so, boy, it doesn't get much more personal when you know a device is going to be used on you. Right. You developed the machinery and patented it. So that was a great moment in time for me. Oh, man, I can only imagine. Because, you know, I, I, get, I get excited when I can tell my kids, hey, you see this? You see this label on this, you know, this vitamin bottle uh, that's, that's for my company. And they're like, Oh, cool. I, the, the, like the elevated level of like, I'm about to have, you know, stomach surgery and I can look over and go that I, I know that this is going to be good. I have personally validated that. It was it's, my invention. I mean, wow, it doesn't get me. That's so that. cool. Yeah, that is so cool. Uh, Charlie, this has been awesome. How do people, because uh, there's there's a whole giant world, I'm sure, a, 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 a thousand other little rabbit trails when it comes to medical device packaging and validation that, that we could go down. Um, what What's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you personally or with Vanderstahl as a company or both if they want to? Sure. Yeah. So our website is just vanderstahl.com and uh, the about us section tells more than you want to know about us. And uh, you can all, anyone's welcome to reach out to me. They want to chat if they're moving into that as a new industry. I always love to talk. The biggest problem is getting me off the phone. Um, and they can reach me at charlie at vanderstahl.com. Cool. 
I'll make sure that I put all of that in the show notes so that people can just easily click on it and you can reach out via email or jump online, you know, connect Charlie and I connected up on LinkedIn. I believe it was a mutual friend. It was our mutual friend, Joe, uh, through That's the right. IOPP. That yeah, connects us up. Great so, yeah, yeah, so shout out, shout out to Joe. Deep. He's through the IOPP and I'm on their uh, medical packaging technical committee. It's a great organization. Joe's a great guy. Yeah, he's great. I, I've got, just so you know, uh, I, I'm, I, I took my test, the first, my first CPP test, and I missed by like three questions. I was uh, like, oh my gosh. So now <laughs> I'm going back through and taking it again, but it's going to happen. Uh, I, lo- I love what the IOPP does. Uh, just on a very broad level, they're they're awesome. The, the networking there is tremendous. If you're in the packaging industry, uh, I I can't recommend highly enough. That, you know, signing up, joining, and and being part of the community. It's 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 yeah, fantastic. Your so. accreditation thing is cool. I I did that uh, 20 years ago, and uh, after 15 years, you become a life member. So I've been a life member for a very long time. So I got to add the L to the end of my CPP for lifetime i'm i'm one of the pioneers there so it's cool to see others that I, have been down there for so long that's awesome i'm looking forward to being able to say uh reverend e adam peak cpp l mba that would be awesome. uh <laughs> that's quite an that's a great appellation i love it yeah maybe an esquire but i don't think i want to go to law school so, oh no 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 yeah probably not going to do that <laughs> uh probably this has been great um i i know that i learned I, I have to take like a break i feel like i'm gonna have to like decompress and be like wow that was a lot of words <laughs> and i'll re-listen to it and write them down it's one of my favorite things to do actually is i'll go back through and re-listen and if there were if there's a word i don't know then I just write it down and I look it up and I add it to my vocabulary. It's fantastic. So you, you awesome. provided me a lot of learning and, and some uh, great times. And now I get to figure out what efficacious means. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome. And uh, I'm sure we will see each other, be in touch uh, in, in the future. Adam's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. And thanks for being on my podcast. It was, I had so many people loving it and uh, I love following your stuff on LinkedIn and your podcast. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Charlie. Well, that wraps up another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Please go out and support our sponsor for this show and like, subscribe, share this episode, our podcast with people. We believe, as we hope that you do, that packaging is awesome and we want to tell everyone we know about it. Thanks again.